raining. God, I pray that that would be just uh, the, our conviction. God, that you would give us the faith uh, to believe that. Even when we don't understand things that are going on, even when the future is concerning or confusing. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd just help us to trust that you reign. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to surrender to you and uh, just allow you more and more to, to reign in our lives as we become more and more obedient to you, more and more submissive to the Lordship of Christ. So God, I, I pray today that uh, you would uh, just speak to us through your word. I pray, God, that you give hope, that you give conviction, uh, that you give the faith, Lord, to, to trust you. God, I pray that you bring conviction where it's needed and that you bring encouragement where it's needed. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would work through your word and bring about your will in this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat if you would. Uh, good to see you. If you got a Bible, let's go to the last uh, chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. We're going to talk about hope today. Anybody need some hope? Um, there's a lot of hopelessness in, in, in the world right now, it, it, it seems like. Uh, we know that even before uh, COVID, uh, like uh, suicide rates in children and teenagers were on the rise. Uh, suicide rates in that age group and in general have uh, increased exponentially uh, since the pandemic. We see in other ways people uh, manifesting hopeless. Uh, I, I learned a new phrase when I was studying this week. There's a phrase called goblin mode. Have you heard this? Uh, goblin mode, basically, the lady named Carrie Paul wrote an in, in, in article about it. And uh, uh, she says the term embraces the, comfort, the comforts of laziness, spending the day in bed, watching TV on mute while doom scrolling through social media, pouring the end of a bag of chips in your mouth, dr drowning Eggo waffles over the sink because you can't be bothered to put them on a plate, leaving the house in your pajamas and socks just to get like a single Diet Coke from wherever. Um, Goblin Mode first appeared on Twitter as early as 2009, but according to Google Trends, Goblin Mode started to rise in popularity in early February 2022. Uh, goblin mode is kind of the opposite of trying to better yourself, says Juniper, who declined to share her last name. I think that's the kind of energy that we're giving going into 2022. Everyone's just kind of wild and insane right now. On TikTok, hashtag goblin mode is rising in popularity. Uh, somebody said, I love barely holding on to my sanity and making awful, selfish choices and participating in unhealthy habits and coping mechanisms. Said somebody, uh, you know, with 325,000 views. And so, uh, you know, as people freak out about the future, this is one of the, the many unhealthy ways that they deal with it. There is just a lot of cynicism, despair hopelessness right now. I mean, we're facing difficult days, but as we've seen in the book of Daniel, God's people were facing difficult days in a, in a foreign land and in, in exile. And so 
really God ends this prophetic revelation to and through Daniel with a word of hope. And, of course, since it's in the Bible, it's for us today as well. And so he wants us to, to have hope, but he wants us to live in, in, in light of this hope. So let, let's read through chapter 12. Like I said last week, it's actually a short chapter, believe it or not, in, in the book of Daniel. And then we'll try to unpack it and, and see where our hope is, see how to live in light of uh, this hope, and just to, to see how, as this wraps up, how we can apply this to our lives. Remember, as we've talked about, chapters 10 through 12 are, are a unit. Chapter 10 was the behind the scenes of what's going on in the spiritual realm. Chapter 11 is it manifested in time and space and history. Chapter 12 then is looking ahead into the future of the world and ultimately looking ahead in, into eternity and really showing us that if we're going to have hope, that's ultimately where it's going to be. Because if, if hope is, can only be found in this life, it has to be found in our circumstances. And when circumstances aren't good, where's the hope, number one? But number two, that's going to come to an end someday. And so if there's not hope beyond the grave, is there actually hope? So... Uh, this is what uh, Daniel writes. He says, At that time, Michael, the archangel, shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. He seems to be the guardian angel of the nation of Israel. He says, There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So it's talking about the time of tribulation. It's pointing ahead to the return of Jesus to rescue his people. The, the phrase or sentence, everyone who is found written in the book. You know, Jesus talked about their names being written in heaven. Revelation talks about the Lamb's book of life. This is what that's talking uh, about. Um, Verse 2 says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, and many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and uh, <clears throat> there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank, two angels apparently. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and, and if I was right in chapter 10, which is debatable, that this was a Christophany, uh, an appearance of Jesus you know, before he came and, and was born of the Virgin Mary, if, if, if I was right about that, it, it's the same thing uh, here. The, the, this is Jesus. And uh, he says, how long shall the fulfillment of these, or the angels say, how long shall the fulfillment of these waters or, or, or these wonders be? And then verse 7 says, Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river uh, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and, and, and ever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time, 
If you remember the book of Daniel, that's three and a half years, the, the second half of the tribulation period, where there, there's so much uh, you know, persecution uh, against God's people. He says, uh, when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. He says, although I heard, I did not understand. And that's common refrain through Daniel. Uh, then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many should be purified, made white, and refined. Many are going to be saved during the tribulation period. But he says, the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And he says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Let me say something about those two numbers. Uh, again, this is probably one of the mysterious verses in the book of Daniel. He says he's been talking about you know, 1,260 days, three and a half years, this kind of thing. Now it pops in you know, these numbers. What's the significance of these numbers? Nobody knows for sure. Here's what I think, okay, it's my opinion, it's one of the theories, is that basically the 1,290 days and the 1,335 days refers to the fact that when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom on the earth, the Bible pictures some judgments then, like the judgment of the nations. That's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to organize the government of the millennial kingdom. That's where I think the extra 30 days and the extra 75 days factor in there, but again, nobody Nobody knows that for sure. But then here, here's the final verse uh, of the book of Daniel, and I think it's so encouraging. He says, but you, go your way till the end. You know what he's saying? He's saying, stay faithful, finish well, fulfill your purpose, for you shall rest and, and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. In other words, I'm take you to heaven. You're going to rest. You're going to be resurrected. You're going to be rewarded. You're going to receive your inheritance at the end of the days. In other words, Daniel, uh, there's hope for you now. There's hope for you when you die. Stay faithful. You've outlasted an empire. Now, I'm not going to forsake you at the end. I'm not going to forsake you in your death. There's hope then too. And so Daniel's been through all these crazy, tumultuous times, all these difficult situations in his life, uh, being essentially abducted, kidnapped. Uh, you know, they tried to um, you know, brainwash them, you know, indoctrinate them into the ways of the Babylonians. They're away from their home. They're away from their people. He sees all of these crazy things that are going to happen in the future. Uh, you know, it sees the, the, this sin and, and, and these difficulties uh, in, in, in the world. And, you know, he's been through all of these things. The world seems out of control. But he's saying that God gives us an eternal hope through Jesus Christ. That he gives us an eternal hope through Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, you know, live in the light of that. Go your way. Be faithful. Keep on keeping on. Keep doing what I've called you to do till the end. So that's the conviction I think that, that God wants us to finish this book with. He wants us to, to, to glean and live with from this chapter. The world seems out of control. 
but God gives us an eternal hope in Christ. Now, uh, as we look at this in this chapter and then relate it to Jesus in the New Testament, there's five words that I want to give you that I think we see here that characterize this eternal hope. Okay, they all start with R, so hopefully they're memorable. Uh, let me just name them, then we'll kind of unpack them. There's uh, rescue, there's rain, there's rest, there's resurrection, and there's reward. There's rescue, there's rain, not R-A-I-N. I mean, I'm, these days you would be <laughs> prone to think that. There's rain, R-E-I-G-N, like we sang about in, in, in the last song. Uh, there's rescue, there's rain, there's rest, there's resurrection, and, and there's reward. This is why we have this eternal hope in Jesus Christ. So, so think about rescue and rain. Verse 1 again. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never uh, was since there was a nation, even to that time. But he says, at that, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. I mean, your people is the nation of Israel. Think about how bad this time is going to be if he says there's never been a trouble, time of trouble like this. That means it was worse. it's going to be worse than the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes that we talked about in the book of Daniel. That means it's going to be worse than, than, than the Holocaust. I mean, I mean, think about that. That's how terrible it's going to be. But he says, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Jesus is going to come back and rescue his people. We, we saw at the end of chapter 11 when he was talking about the Antichrist, that he's going to come to his end, chapter 11, verse 45, and no one is going to help him. This is the way the New Testament describes this. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Scripture says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, Followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his name, or, or, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is talking about the return uh, of Jesus. This is our rescue because in, in the next few verses, it talks about how he defeats his enemies and how the Antichrist and how Satan are consigned to hell. Rescue. And then there's rain. If we kind of fast forward ahead to Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped uh, the, the beast or his image and had not re received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. The beast is the Antichrist. And it says, And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him for a thousand years. Uh, what we're going to see in just a minute as we talk a little bit more about resurrection is 
there's the resurrection uh, of, of the just, those who are saved before the millennial reign. And, and that's what he's talking about here. But this other resurrection is later in chapter 20. There's a resurrection of the unjust to stand before the judgment seat of Christ before they're eternally condemned to hell. So one spiritual question we have to answer is, which resurrection are we going to be a part of? And that depends on how we respond to Jesus Christ. So uh, there's rescue, there's reign, and then in uh, verse 2, we see that there's rest and there's resurrection. Look at what it says. It says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, Stephen Miller, in his commentary on Daniel, writes about this. And I'm going to read some of this because I think it's, this may be some concepts that, it's, that maybe not everybody understands always that it's important for us to understand. So he says, the resurrected ones are called those who sleep in the dust of the earth. Now, sleep uh, is a figure of speech used frequently in the Bible to designate uh, physical death, but actually the physical death of believers, like 1 Thessalonians 4.13 would be a- an example uh, of that. Now, if you've ever say, uh, like, talk to a Jehovah's Witness, they'll talk to you about soul sleep. This is not what the Bible teaches. Sleep here refers to the body, and, and it's, a, um, it's a metaphor. It's not literal. It, 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 it's... Because the Bible teaches us, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death is the separation of the spirit and the body. When we die, our spirit, if we're in Christ, goes directly into the presence of God. Uh, Our our bodies are cremated or buried or or, or whatever. But the sense of which we're sleeping in Christ, again, it's a a metaphor. It's... um, it basically is saying that like, it's like you're asleep in the sense of someday you're going to wake up. Someday you're going to be resurrected. Uh, you're at peace in uh, Christ. And so Miller says, although the spirit of the believer does not sleep, the body is placed in a grave and becomes inactive or sleeps until the Lord raises it, glorifies it, and reunites it with the spirit. Uh, deceased unbelievers also will be resurrected. We saw that in Revelation 20 and spend eternity in bodily form according to this verse. Jesus warned us, Matthew 10, 28, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill uh, the, the, the soul. Uh, in, in John 5, 28 and, and 29, uh, Jesus talked about there, there's a resurrection of the just, there, there's a resurrection of the unjust. So he says believers will rise to enjoy everlasting life in their new bodies and will reign with Christ. On the other hand, unbelievers will face shame and contempt. The wicked will be ashamed and disgraced as they stand before the Lord and realize the gravity of their sin, particularly the sin of rejecting God's loving Messiah. The Hebrew word contempt here refers to an object of aversion or abhorrence. In Isaiah 66, 24, the only other instance of this word being used in the Old Testament, it also concerns the eternal state. It says this, And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched. 
and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Isaiah's use uh, of the term uh, it appears to explain the significance of the expression in Daniel 12 too. So shocking will be the fate of the lost that onlookers must turn their faces away in horror or disgust. This contempt will be everlasting. That is, it will endure for eternity. The fate of both groups is everlasting. Daniel, therefore, was setting forth the doctrines of eternal life and eternal punishment. So, again, what he's saying here is if we're in Christ, there's hope because he's coming to rescue us. We're going to reign with him. There's rest. There's resurrection. But if you're rejecting Christ, if you're still in your sins, if you're saying uh, no to the free gift of salvation offered by a holy God, the opposite of that is true in, in, in the sense of you're not going to be rescued. You're going to be judged. You're not going to reign with Christ. You're going to be judged by Christ. You're not going to rest in Him. Um, you will be resurrected, but, but not to enjoy Him, but to be eternally uh, condemned and separated from Him. And then, verse 13, the fifth word here, if, as our hope in Christ, is there's a reward. Again, he said, Daniel, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. In other words, he's saying, Daniel, stay faithful, and I'm going to reward you. Jesus said in Luke 6.23, speaking of people in the context who were persecuted for their faith in Christ, great is your reward in heaven. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the judgment seat of Christ, and it says that if our work endures, he'll receive, uh, we'll receive a reward. And so our, our hope is uh, that this life is not the end, but in Christ there's rescue, that we reign with him, that we rest in him, that we're resurrected by him unto eternal life, and that we're rewarded by him, that there's more to life than just this life. Now, let's give us a couple of applications of this. First of all, this gives us hope in facing death. If we're in Christ. This gives us hope in facing death if we're in Christ. Listen, we, we don't like to talk about death, but it is the inevitable reality that we better have an answer for. Because the death rate's hundred percent. I mean, that, that's just the reality of it. You remember Larry King, the guy that you know did Larry King live on CNN forever? Um, he, he died last year. But in 2015, the New York Times did an article about him, and uh, specifically about the fact that he was obsessed with death. And he said, that's a quote, he said he was obsessed with death. He, he began his day by reading obituaries and uh, says that he ponders who will give the eulogy at his funeral. He said he smiled as he thought it might be Bill Clinton, but then he thinks, well, I won't be there to see it, though. He has had, quote, a heart attack, quintuple bypass, prostate cancer, diabetes, and seven divorces. He was 77 years old when uh, CNN dropped him, 
And he said when this happened, he really became aware that there will come a day when he dies. He said when he learned uh, from TV of the death of Osama bin Laden, that he literally jumped up on his feet and said, uh, I needed to be on the air, I needed a red light to go on, but he realized that he had nowhere to go (coughs) to kind of fight against aging and death. He took hormone pills for human growth, four of them every day. He planned on his body to be frozen so that someday he would live again. And this reporter from the New York Times quoted him saying, It's nuts, but at least it gives me a shred of hope. Other people have no hope. Now, does that sound like hope? Like you're going to freeze your body, and I don't know, I guess the hope is somehow science is going to figure out how to resurrect frozen bodies someday? Contrast it uh, with this. You know, Billy Graham died, I think, when he was 99. But uh, when he was 92, you know, he's from Charlotte, and he, you know, was just kind of, you know, was beloved in that city. And, and a group of civic leaders in Charlotte wanted to do a lunch to honor him uh, for his 93rd birthday. And at this point, he had had uh, Parkinson's for several years was declining, didn't come out in public uh, very much at, at this point in time. And, uh, but, you know, they, they convinced him to let them do this. They were like, you know, we don't want you to give a major address or anything like that. So he agreed to it, and, uh, you know, they had the lunch, and the people spoke, and they honored him and, and said all these wonderful things about him. And then uh, he came to the podium, uh, you know, not to give a full speech or a sermon, but uh, just to make a few remarks. And, and he told a, a story about Albert Einstein, the famous physicist who uh, Time magazine had named the man of the century uh, for the 20th century. He told the story about one time that Albert Einstein was leaving Princeton, and he was going somewhere on a train. And while he was on this train, the conductor came through the train um, collecting tickets. And as he came to Einstein, Einstein's like rummaging through all of his pockets and everything, and he can't find his ticket. And uh, the conductor says, I know who you are, Mr. Einstein. I'm sure you brought a ticket. Uh, You know, it's fine. We trust you. You know, you don't need to find your ticket. And he just goes on, you know, moving through the the car of the train, uh, just, you know, collecting tickets and that kind of thing. And when he gets to the end of uh, the, the, the car, and he kind of looks back, he sees uh, Einstein on his hands and knees on the floor looking around, and so he walks back to him, and he, he discovers that Einstein is still looking for the ticket, and he's like, you know, please don't worry about it. We trust you. Uh, you know, you don't need uh, the, the ticket. Uh, he says, you know, we know who you are, and Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I, too, know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) Having said that, Billy Graham said this. He says, see the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My children and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be a bit more fastidious. So I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? This is the suit in which I'll be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, 
I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? That's settled by our response to the good news of Christ. Our hope for eternity is in Him. But second, this gives us a hope in living life right now. Again, I think to really have hope, our hope has to be anchored in something transcendent, something that goes beyond just our circumstances. And it has to be rooted in something eternal, not something temporal. Because if our hope is not transcendent and eternal, if it's just earthly and fleeting and based on circumstances, can it be taken away at any time? Listen, if your hope is in something that can be taken away, Do you have any hope when it's gone? God wants to give us hope in in, in things that cannot be taken away now and forever. Listen, if we don't have an answer for death, we're not really ready to live life. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is in a a, a settled fact, something that Jesus did supernaturally, something that was done for us. But he says, to an inheritance, incorruptible, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Something that's sure, certain, and lasting. If we don't have an answer for death, we don't have an answer yeah, for life. The famous baseball player, Mickey Mantle, who became a Christian shortly before he died, was interviewed a little while before his death by People Magazine. And uh, Mickey Mantle was uh, an alcoholic, and he struggled with that. And, and they asked him if he had any idea why, with all of his fame and success and, and, and money and, and, you know, and all these kind of things, why did you struggle so much with alcohol? And he says, I know exactly why. He says, uh, my uh, grandfather died around 40 with Hodgkin's disease. My father died around the same age with Hodgkin's disease. I thought for sure the same thing was going to happen to me. It scared me to death, and I drank to cope with it. What do we do to cope with the lack of hope? Maybe it's that. Maybe it's goblin mode. Maybe it's suicide. Listen, how do you live life really without hope? And again, how do you have hope if it can be taken away? Listen, our hope is in Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. His return. Uh, the, the, the rest, the resurrection, the reward that we have in Him. And so, again, God wants us to live with the conviction, yeah, the world seems out of control, but we have an eternal hope in Christ. But what do we do with that then? How do we live in light of that? Because like we talked about in, in, in Daniel, and in, in, you know, talked about with Jesus, when, you know, when Jesus talked about his return, I mean, there were promises about his return, but there were commands connected to those promises. Be watching. Be ready. Um, 
Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for uh, the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. How do we live in light of this hope that we have in Christ? I think here's the action that God wants us to take based on this conviction, and that is that we will faithfully live for Jesus because of the hope that he's given us. Remember in verse 13, he says, you've got rest coming. You've got an inheritance coming. But go your way now until the end. In other words, in light of this hope, live faithfully, do God's will, stand firm, stand strong, fulfill your purpose, uh, use what I've given you, uh, live out the calling I've given you till the end, knowing that God's sovereign, that Jesus is in control, that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings, knowing that you're safe in me until I'm finished with you. And when I'm finished with you, you're coming uh, to me. And so, you know, when you die, it's just being transported into the presence of God. It's like, Daniel, how can you lose? So live in in light of that. Jesus has won. Live with hope. Live faithfully. Live victoriously in him. The question is, how do we do that? Well, I think there's three very specific things that we see here in this chapter as far as how we live this out. Here's the first. Grow in our understanding of God's Word while at the same time realizing that not all of our questions are going to get answered. We talked about this last week. Uh, just because God's word is true doesn't mean that we know everything or that we understand everything. We saw uh, again in uh, this chapter in verse 8 where Daniel said, I heard, although I heard, I didn't understand. So again, we may have some confusion, some questions, some doubts, some struggles, but we can still stand firm on the word of God. Now, where do I get that in this chapter? There's a couple of different places here. A couple of things I want you to notice. So, in verse 6, remember, if, if I'm right, th- this is Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. Uh, he, he says then, in, in verse 7, that he swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. In other words, it's Jesus Christ himself saying, this is going to be fulfilled. This is going to happen. This is going to come true. You can rely on this word. But he also says in verse 4, and verse 9, he, he speaks of the words being closed up, and he speaks of sealing the book until the end uh, of time. Now, this is one of these places in Daniel that, in my opinion, many Bible commentators and preachers get this wrong. I, I've, I've heard this taught where basically what this is saying is, this is all kind of going to be a mystery But then when we're getting close to the return of Christ, people are going to get interested in this and start uh, understanding this. And I've even heard people use all the interest in in, in prophecy and left behind series and these movies, all this kind of thing, as a sign that Jesus is coming back quickly. 
but I don't think that's what this means. Here's what I think it means. I think Stephen Miller's right when he says it this way. He says, this admonition concerned the preservation of the document, the preservation of the document, not it being kept secret. In the ancient Near East, the custom was to seal an important document by impressing upon it the identifying marks of the parties involved and the recording scribe. A, a sealed text was not to be tampered with or changed. What's the application for us? The Bible is not to be tampered with or changed because it's the true word of God. The Bible's true. You know, Jesus uh, said that the Bible's true. He said, uh, you know, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words are going to stand uh, forever. He said in a prayer to his father in John 17, he said, your word is true truth. Uh, Jesus believed he acted on Scripture. He, he quoted and affirmed as true uh, a lot of the parts of Scripture that get denied today when you read the Gospels. The Bible's true. But this also means that the Bible is authoritative. And when we say the Bible's authoritative, what that means is when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And that settles it. We're to obey we're called to live under the Lordship of Christ. How do we live under the Lordship of Christ? It's by being obedient to His Word, which is the blueprint by which we're to live. It means whatever the issue, if the Bible speaks to it, that's what we live based on. It means when we line ourselves up with the Word of God, that life works in the way that it's supposed to. When we don't, life doesn't work because truth is what's really real. And if the Bible is truth, that's reality. And when we live according to Scripture, we're living in reality when we're not following scripture we're going against God's very design of reality and how's life going to work in that way I want you to watch a clip uh, we watched a, a clip from Alistair Begg in the cross a few weeks ago this is Alistair Begg again uh, on a different subject he's preaching through Romans chapter 1 in his church right now and he's in Romans 1 and he's in the verses uh, that are that are talking about homosexuality but just listen to what he says here about the Bible certain about it and we lose our voice, 
We're not free to tamper with the Bible. Whatever the issue, it doesn't matter what the world says. If you say you're a Christian, you're committing yourself to the authority of Scripture under the Lordship of Christ. And the question uh, is always, what does God say? doesn't matter, uh, and, and, and really the test becomes in these difficult issues that he referred to. That's where the rubber meets the road. Second, we see here that if, how do we live out this hope? We live out this hope by telling others about Jesus. There's, there's a great verse about evangelism tucked in here in the Old Testament. Verse 3, he says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We're called to tell other people about Jesus. Listen, if if we've got hope, I mean, if we really believe this is the hope of the world, why would we keep it to ourselves? If we really believe it's good news, why wouldn't we tell other people? I mean, usually if we tell good news, if we know good news, it's like, you know, we learned Molly was pregnant a few weeks before uh, it could be shared. It was hard not to tell it because that's good news. So if we, have, if we really believe this is good news, we really believe this is the hope of the world, why wouldn't we share it with other people? Who are we praying for? Who are we inviting to church? Who are we sharing our, our faith with? Do we care about the people around us? Do we really believe I mean, again, this is, uh, is the Bible really our authority? I mean, I think a lot of times we turn into functional universalists. Do you, do you really believe that at the end the guy's just going to say, okay, uh, you rejected Jesus, but I'm just, everybody can come in? Or do you believe what the Bible says, that Jesus is the only way because if he's the only way, don't we want people to know? Are we going to go on mission trips and support people going on mission trips and, and, and those kind of things? And listen, I need this motivation as much as you do because, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes we don't want to offend people and all those kind of things, and it's hard one-on-one, and I blow it sometimes too. But uh, I want you to, again, watch a little, uh, another video clip. Hopefully this uh, motivates us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, like the magic comedy duo, Penn and Teller. This is the Penn side of it, Penn Gillette. He's an atheist, but he, as an atheist, he says this about evangelism. Let that sink in a little bit. Then the last thing I think we see here, and and we'll finish up Daniel with this, how God finished it up. Stay faithful to the end. Go your way to the end. Stay faithful till the end. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, I'm about to be martyred. I'm about to be killed. But here's what he said. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Basically, Paul's pretty much saying the same thing that, that Daniel said there. But he said, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the race. In other words, he says, I've hung in till the end. I, I, I've stayed faithful. I've kept following the Lord. I've kept doing what he's called me to do. And, and listen, think about all the things he could have talked about at the end of his life. All the things he could have accomplished. But this is what he said. Must be a really big accomplishment. Must be uh, something great by the grace of God that just to finish well. And I, I think in today's age where we see so many uh, Christians talking about deconstructing their faith, when we see so many pastors that are falling, so many scandals, maybe we need to be reminded that just to stay faithful till the end is a great accomplishment. To hang on, to do what Jesus has called us to do in uh, the light of the hope that he's given us. So the conviction is, yeah, the world seems out of control. We have an eternal hope in Christ. Do you have hope? Are you living in that hope today? And are you living your life based on that hope, seeking to live faithfully for Jesus, the one who gives you the hope? So, to end these 13 weeks in the book of Daniel, I'm going to give the great American theologian Toby Mack uh, the, the final word. Okay, I want you to show a music video, but it's, it's a lyric video, so it has, the, if that's not your cup of tea, uh, it has the lyrics on the screen. But it's a song called uh, Promised Land, and he says it was inspired by his grandfather, who was a coal miner in West Virginia, and his dad, who grew up in a mining camp. And he said they lived a hard life, a life where he imagines that they must have really wondered, where's my promised land? So watch this in light of that.
And he said this about the song, maybe the promised land we're looking for isn't a place, but it's a person named Jesus. I think that's the point of the book of Daniel. We're exiles living in a foreign land. The world's out of control, but God's on his throne. God revealed himself to us in the person of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And he came and he died on the cross to redeem us from our sins, to forgive us, to bring us back to God, to give us hope. He's someday coming back to consummate the plan of God, to consecrate his kingdom on the earth, to rule and to reign forever. And we have an eternal hope in him. Are we trusting him? And are we living for him? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.